We come to the end of our Power and Weakness uh, series. I'm looking forward to sharing God's Word with you as we land the series. But also we come to the end of another church year. Uh, It's been another fantastic year. I've particularly enjoyed the teaching series. If you remember, we did uh, Making Life Work and then Into Better Together and then Power and Weakness. I think they've been really strong, challenging, relevant, I hope, series for us as we've taught through the year. Probably the highlight for me in this church year has been all that we've done with groups. Uh, We've always had groups. We've always wanted to build a community beyond the crowd. But now for two terms, we've had the same number of adults or over 12s in our groups as we have on a Sunday. So that's quite amazing. So I want to thank each of you who have stepped into a group, those of you leading groups. But that uh, is so encouraging for me as a pastor to think that we're not just building a crowd here. We're building a family, a community uh, together. Um, Last weekend, uh, Deb and I were away for the weekend. I took this book with me to read. I just couldn't put it down, and I want to recommend it to you. I don't know if across the summer you might get a moment. Hopefully you get a bit of a holiday, maybe. Uh, But I just want to recommend this book, maybe some summer reading. It's called Simplify by Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels leads Willow Creek Community Church. I just found it. Just a fantastic, helpful book. I I couldn't put it down. Every chapter, really relevant and really great for a type of book to kind of recalibrate your life, to make sure you've got the right building blocks in place or or if you're carrying stuff you really need to get rid of. It's just a fantastic book. I was going through making notes and as I'm going into my kind of summer break and kind of try and recalibrate my life to ensure it's sustainable, Uh, It was just so relevant. I wanted to recommend it to you. Also thought it might make a great series at some point. But anyway, um, uh, and then lastly, an invitation. I'd like to invite you to prioritize, if you can, to be here on the 13th of September, where we will mark and give thanks to God all that has happened in the family of kings since Deb and I got in a car 20 years ago across the summer, traveled from a nice provincial town of Bedford to urban Catford. It's a bit of a shock to the system. Only took us five years to adjust. Um, and um, uh, yeah, we'd like to, if you can, be there on that weekend. It'll be a fun uh, time. We're going to do it slightly differently and we're going to give thanks to God for all that we've seen uh, together. I've called this message uh, Escape or Endure. Escape or Endure. And um, in a moment, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as we land our series. But I just thought, really by way of opening illustration, there's a couple of examples over these last 20 years when, to be honest, things haven't gone as well as I'd hoped. I don't know if you've ever had life like that. You think things are going well, then suddenly out of left field or you get a phone call, things go in a different direction. 20 years ago, when we moved from Bedford to London, we were in a season where we were counting every penny. Uh, To get into London, we had to double our mortgage just to get here. And um, I remember we counted every pound. And very quickly, we were leading a church into a, a, a double tithing season to build this building, and we counted every pound. Now we're in a season when we count well, I still count every pound, as you know, but I count it in tens now. I've got a little bit more flexibility. Uh, but remember that 
uh, season. I remember seasons of, uh, if I say personal but corporate loss, where taking a phone call some four or so years ago uh, while on holiday about our architect, Martin Hayner, dying suddenly and just taking the phone call from his wife and flying back for the funeral. And then just a few weeks later, the tragic news of um, Joe Braithwaite being run over by a cement truck in Oxford at 36 and taking the phone call from Paul Braithwaite. I can remember times of loss and pain and where you just want to hit the pause button and rewind a bit and say, Lord, couldn't it be another way? Uh, I know for Deb and I, in the first few years at King's demanding time where we um, uh, had arrived in town with two lads, Ben and Josh Young, and we were trying for a third third child and and Deb uh, going through two miscarriages and particularly the second being late and just it raises questions in your life and and um, it's just very painful that's why we're so delighted in Sam we call him the chosen one uh, which doesn't go down too well with his two older brothers but they're always beating him up so we've got to stand for Sam occasionally so uh, but you know these um, these real issues of life that we all face and I'm aware when I'm preaching on a passage like this that there's a whole things going on in the background for your life. Well, they do for us as well. And uh, that's why this series has been challenging. And it has, if you ever doubted, it has taken off the kind of sugar-coated Christian lifestyle. The superficial, that if you follow Jesus, everything will be fine. You only got to look at Jesus' life, ultimately in death, or look at Paul's testimony through the book of Corinthians, uh, Second Corinthians, to know that life is not like that. It wasn't like that for Jesus. It wasn't like that for the great apostle Paul. I don't know why sometimes we think that our life should be like that. It's probably the impact of our culture, which kind of seeps into us. That you know, nowadays with the right medical support and a bit more wealth, things will all go well with us. So let's read Second uh, Corinthians and. Chapter 12, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. And I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. And even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weaknesses, in weakness. And therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's 
power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now remember the context of the whole of the book. The Apostle Paul is under huge pressure, even unto death. His life is at stake, and he's got trouble with the church in Corinth. They're questioning his integrity, his motives. They are under, uh, but, but under, under that, they're also questioning his gospel. False teachers have come in, and they're presenting another gospel. And not only are they doing that, they're kind of puffing themselves up with these kind of remarkable revelations. So that's the context he's in. And uh, Paul presents a completely different gospel. He reminds the Corinthians that it's not power in power, as one commentator put it, but rather power in weakness. And we'll go on to say this is at the very heart of the gospel and the argument of this letter. This is uh, Paul's gospel. This is the gospel of God, that there's actually power in weakness ultimately displayed in Christ once and for all, sacrifice for us. The passage, as a lot of Second Corinthians has done, I, I think I've discovered preaching this series why not many churches do Second Corinthians. Because it's a pretty demanding passage uh, or, or, or book. It's, it's not a feel-good kind of passage. Because it's, it's written in the context of huge pressure and persecution. And we're kind of... ah. We kind of can sidestep that a little. It's not that we aren't under pressure. And if you just become the leader of the Liberal Dem, um, you're under pressure, aren't you? Because uh, Christians, uh, you know, our media and others are trying to push us out of the public square. And so it's not there isn't real pressure here, but it's very different to the pressure if you were following Christ in the underground church in China or you were living in the Middle East at the moment. And so we're kind of... We're kind of following our faith. Uh, our pressures are real, but they're slightly different to the context of Corinthians and also to Christians in other parts of the world. But the texts do throw up challenging verses. That's why it's been good for us to look at them. And uh, the first one that's thrown out, the first question that comes up is this strange interaction in these first few verses when Paul talks about this revelation he had, uh, but he doesn't really talk about it. He talks about a person he knows that's had it. He says, does it in the second person. He does that because he really doesn't want to draw attention to himself like the false teachers are. It's a bit like when you have someone come up to you and they say, look, I know a person that's got a problem and their problem is this. And what advice would you give to that person? And you're listening, you're thinking, is it another person or is it really you? Yeah, have you ever had that one? Is it this person? And, and then you think, oh, maybe it is the other person. So I don't want to judge. It's really this person. But you just don't know. And so you, you give the best advice as you can. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He's trying to deflect away from himself. Um, and this special revelation happened some 14 years ago. It happened in the time after his uh, salvation on the road to Damascus and when he's probably in Tarsus. So Paul disappears off the scene for some 11 to 13 years in the book of Acts. You see him get saved. The Jerusalem apostles don't know what to do with him. And he kind of just goes off to Tarsus. And we don't see him for 14 years until Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him to Antioch. And this is in the timeline. That's what happened. There was this revelation. He doesn't mention it anywhere else. Normally when he speaks, he mentions his encounter with God. And he gives his testimony. I don't know if you've ever met... Have you ever met super spiritual Christians? Have you ever met them? They're kind of like 
they kind of float above us normal Christians. And they, they're, they're always having remarkable visitations. Um, and they kind, of, they, they kind of sort of take the spiritual high ground. Have you ever met people like that? Oh, yeah, they're just like, they're superior to you. They, they pray more, they know the Bible more. And you just think, oh man, I don't know the Bible hardly at all. And if they knew how much I didn't pray, as much as how much I do pray. And they're kind of super spiritual and they kind of float over you. And um, I'm not a big fan of people like that, to be honest. <laughs> um, or you sometimes meet Christians who are just conference hoppers. They literally go, they want to go from experience to experience. They just want to live on the mountaintop all the time. Because the mountaintop is fantastic. It's fun. It's, it's those glimpses and moments when you encounter God in such a way that you know it's real that it's real. And who doesn't want to live up there? Who doesn't want to live in the extraordinary experience of God? I want those. The trouble is my, my, my honest testimony is most of the time I'm living in the ordinary life day to day with the pressures and challenges it faces. In fact, some Christians you meet, they're actually more interested in the sign or the signs than they are the destination. They get so focused on healing. It's like, healing is it? Well, actually, I'll tell you what, healing isn't it. Jesus is it. And they get so focused on the sign. It's about like the people of Israel coming out of Exodus and getting just, all, all they do is they get very excited about that. Hey, do you know, uh, God opened the Red Sea and it was like, what a sign. Well, it was a phenomenal sign, and the people of Israel used to celebrate it and think about it, but they celebrated more that there was deliverance from slavery under Pharaoh, and there was an exodus into a promised land. And so signs, signs are important, but they're really just pointers to destination. Now, later on in the verses, Paul goes on to talk about the true mark of an apostle is signs, wonders, and miracles. So it isn't that there shouldn't be signs and wonders and miracles. In fact, I'd love us to see more as long as they pointed us to the real destination. The destination of the gospel. The destination that Jesus died for you. That Jesus not only is dead but is risen. And that is life-changing because that means your sins can be forgiven and you can know the hope of eternity. And you can know God's comfort through the challenges and ebb and flow of life. That's the thing we celebrate. We don't celebrate the sign and um, that's what had happened here. They were sort of uh, talking about their wonderful, amazing revelations. The Apostle Paul, when he gets up to stand, say like in Acts 22 in front of King Agrippa, he gives his testimony. That's the sign. I mean, these sort of other signs, they're like aftershocks after the earthquake. The earthquake is that you've become born again. You have been reconciled with God. That's what uh, Corinthians says. That's, that's the earthquake in your life. And then these other signs where they're like, they're like, Tremors afterwards, aftershocks. Yeah, they're encouraging. And I like to see more. But if you build your life on the signs, I tell you, you're missing the truth of the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying here. The next challenge of the text is, what is this thorn then? What is the thorn? What's the thorn in his side? Um, The scholars go two ways on this one. They either think that it is to do with all the difficulties and persecutions of life. I quite like that interpretation because in its context it seems to make sense. Because in Corinthians 11, Paul says, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. And three times I was beaten with rods. And once I was stoned. And and three times I was shipwrecked. 
Um, I mean, if you ever believed that the Christian life was just plain sailing, then I'm afraid you've missed the point. That's not Paul's testimony. That wasn't what Jesus experienced. It goes on in Corinthians 12, verse 10 says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And so the argument is the thorn that Paul is talking about is just difficulties, uh, uh, pressures. But most scholars fall on the fact that this is to do with a health issue. That actually Paul's thorn in the flesh was an ongoing health issue issue that he was sick now i want to see more healing but the apostle paul can talk about in the same few verses signs and wonders and at the same time carry sickness in his body sickness that won't leave it's this tension between the not yet and the now we want to see more of the now but there is going to be a not yet particularly as you get older until the other side of life So I want to ask you, do you got a thorn at the moment in your life? Some scholars say that they, in the end they don't define down exactly what the thorn is because they, God knew that if we knew exactly what the thorn is, some Christians would try and get it to show how spiritual they are and be very glad that they haven't got it. Um, and I thought, yeah, no, I can see that. People can be like that. So actually you can apply it broadly. So what's the thorn in your side? I... Uh, I'm not a big fan of thorns, uh, thorns inside. So, I mean, I, I struggle when I get a splinter. Yeah, have you ever got a little splinter and it's there and it's sore and it, it's just really hard. You want to get it out and then your wife says, oh, I'll have a go. And she gets out the needle and she's loving little digging. And he's thinking, you're enjoying this too much. And you ah, yeah. So what's the thorn you're carrying? Maybe life's hard at the moment. Ah. Uh, Maybe it is persecution. Maybe you're feeling frail. Maybe you're feeling unwell and you've been carrying sickness in your body. Maybe you're carrying disappointment. Maybe you're going through a particularly challenging season. Maybe you're feeling emotionally vulnerable or low. Um, This is the thorn that you carry. And you press on in life, but behind the scenes, if everyone could see the movie screen behind what's going on in your life, you are carrying a thorn. Well, I want to give you hope today. Because the passage says that in your moment of weakness, you can find God. You can actually find grace and power through times of difficulty more than through times of blessing. I, 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 I know in my own life that when things are going well, do you know what happens? I big myself up. Do you know, I think, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm on top of family. What a leader. Ooh, what a husband. Ooh, wow, what a guy. Yeah? And, I kind of go, and then something comes, and it's beyond my control. So there have been times in work where, you know, you're dealing with things, and it's just beyond you. It's just beyond your ability. I've... Particularly in work at times, things outside your control, working with other churches where they're really struggling and you're there, you've got two hours, it's a complex meeting, they're looking for you to make a decision, you think, oh, I don't know, I need more information, and, but they're looking to me, you make a decision, you trust it's the right one. Or, I don't know, this is one of my weaknesses, you know this one. I'm a dyslexic, which honestly, 
Every single time I send an email or a text, I'm not confident that it makes sense. I don't know if you can get into that. So every single time I write an email, I write it. I write it. And um, I read it three or four times. I hit send, knowing that it's a good chance that if I read it in 10 minutes' time, I'll go, oh, I've missed that word again. And occasionally, I'm sending it. I think of my poor team that are working with me, and they receive it on the end, and they get it and think, blimey, needs the boss. I mean, you can't even put a sentence together. I don't know if you can understand that, that it can make you feel weak at times. You know, you just think, oh, I'm just not competent. Um, I don't know. What's your weakness? What's your vulnerability? Uh, because actually in that, you can actually find great comfort in God. You can find comfort, which is how the book starts, the letter of Corinthians. And also you can lean into God's strength. It can, well, what Paul says here is that there was purpose behind the thought. For him, it was not to become too conceited. Uh, the scholars say that he had, had such remarkable revelation that Paul interpreted his thorn as a place to ensure that he didn't become too conceited. When I read that, I thought to myself, do you know what? I don't think I want any special revelations. I thought I'm just going to, I know who Jesus is, I know I'm saved, I don't want anything, you know. I thought, oh gosh, that probably reveals my heart. Um, but we all have a tendency to lean into our own strength, our own self-sufficiency, our own self-indulgence. It's not that we can go through these challenges without comfort. It's not that we don't have emotions. But God is uh, about a bigger thing with our lives at times. Of course, the next question the text throws up is, what's the source of this thorn then? Did you see that when I read it? All right, so Satan, Satan is... So Paul, the great apostle, has got a tormentor and it's Satan and it's probably given him a lifelong illness. All right, okay. That's a tricky one, isn't it? There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. One commentator put it this way. It's remarkable that Paul could regard his afflictions as given by God and yet a message of Satan. Another one said, behind every plan of Satan, Paul could discern the overarching providence of God who continually creates good out of evil. So you can go through the most difficult time and you can find God it and he can turn it for good. Of course, this is the consequence of a fallen world. And uh, I don't know about you, uh, uh, this uh, passage raises um, a number of questions uh, for me. Does it mean that All insults and difficulties and sickness are from Satan? No, it doesn't mean that. That's a part of the fallen world we live in. Does it mean that all sickness is directly from Satan? No, it doesn't. Um, Does it mean sometimes it could be? Yes. My experience of most Christians is when they're under attack, they blame it on Satan. They don't actually look for the bigger picture that God might be about something bigger than that. Um, and it really flows out of, in a sense, our expectation of what God is and what life should be like. But what should we do if you've got a thorn? If you're here and you're feeling, oh, well, I've got a vulnerability. Steve told me two or three of his, but I could add a three or four others. What you should do? Well, this is what you should do. You should pray. And it says that's what Paul does. He prays three times. 
And yet, see, what that means is a summary phrase in the scripture of he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays. So if you're sick here, in a moment, we want to pray with you. Okay, if you're going through a difficult time, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. And Paul prayed numerous times for this thorn in the flesh to go. Uh, and we want to pray just like he did at the beginning of the book, uh, the letter, for comfort through the challenge. My experience of these seasons as they come is this is what normally happens. It either goes away that you pray, God answers your prayer, and you go, hallelujah, God's alive. He's, he's got this sickness gone. and got me the job, and I'm overcoming that loss. Thank you, Jesus. Or sometimes it's just a season, and I think as you get older, you realize that seasons do come of difficulties, and you just have to stand firm is what the Scripture says. And, and you think, I think, well, I'm just going to have to ride this out. It will get better. I will heal up, or whatever it is. But occasionally... It remains. And uh, Paul embraces it and sees it as God's providence to keep him humble. Of course, there is grace and power in weakness. And that's why I called this message to escape or endure. Now, can I be honest with you? I'll be honest with you. When life challenges come, do you know what I really want to do? I want to escape them. I want to avoid them all. I don't want to be sick. I don't want another phone call which has got pain and loss at the end of it. Yeah? Can you relate to that? Is anyone in the room that's going to say, yeah, I'm not looking for this stuff. In fact, I'd just like my life to be blessed and easy with not a trouble in the world. Ah. Sadly, that doesn't happen until the other side. Yeah, But in my flesh, I want an easy life. Um, and if you add in the cultural soup that we swim round in, which is, you know, gradually we'll get a little bit more wealthier and just a little bit more. And actually your health nowadays, I mean, it's amazing what they can do. You know, and, and, and soon you're going to be able to get a result within three to four weeks. And there's all these drugs they can do and things like that where you really know deep down that you, we are fallen frail and we're getting gradually a bit more creaky. And, and it builds up an expectation that, that actually we'll, everything will be fine. And even the kind of goal of our culture that is basically defined as I want happiness seeps into our definition of what life is like. And even a kind of Christian version of it, which is the kind of prosperity gospel again. But if I was honest, I want to escape. I want to escape sickness. I want to escape pain. I want to escape loss. But I know that seasons like that will come. And when they do... You need to know the difference between what you think and what you feel. It's very important at that point that what you believe shapes how you respond, but it is not to deny your feelings. Because if you've set yourself up for an expectation that I'm always going to live on the mountaintop, God is always going to feel this close, and that I know trouble is coming to my life, then when it does, you question God. And you've kind of set God and yourself up. That's what Corinthians would tell you. But if you expect that actually in life God is with me and he will comfort me through difficulties and stress. And in fact through them I can find power in weakness. 
because I can draw on his grace to sustain me so I can endure through the challenge until we come out the other side, then you're prepared. So when it comes, you feel awful, you feel the pain, you cry like the best of us, but you press on through. That's so important. And that's why you see this happen, that when life challenges come, and you see this in pastoral ministry sadly too often, is that when a life challenge comes, it questions God rather than just embrace to something we should endure. And people do one or two things. They either run from God, they escape, or they endure with him through. So I've seen this. When the life challenge comes or a sickness comes, people either push God away or they pull closer to him. They either withdraw or they embrace. They step back or they step forward. They escape or they endure. I would encourage each of you to, one, think it through. Get your, in a sense, your belief lined up with what the scripture teaches. And then in the moment, lean into God. Lean into the God of comfort. Lean into the God of grace. Lean into the God of power. And maybe our, uh, our aim should be is to follow uh, the Apostle Paul's example. He writes in Philippians 4, he writes this way, I, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Or as Paul wrote in Corinthians, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. One last thing, and we're done. If Paul's exhortation and example is not enough, then we need to look no further than Jesus himself. Who being the very God, took on the frailty of humanity, came and lived in a sin-filled world, was attacked by Satan and tempted, but did not sin. And ultimately, a holy, perfect, loving God, well... Ultimately, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, that is power and weakness. That is power and weakness. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. That through the once and all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his life laid down, looking like defeat, looking like Satan had won, but no. But in that moment of weakness, great power is released. Power to save. Power to cancel every sin you thought of, you have done, and you will do. Power to raise your dead, decaying body back to life. That's power in weakness. And uh, as we uh, kind of conclude this uh, series, let's take this true gospel that... um, Though at times life will be challenging, sometimes we'll face sickness, sometimes we'll face loss. We have a saviour that sympathises, understands every pressure we have and that we can follow his example that as he gives his life, that as he gives his life in weakness, great power is released and we are the 
We are the benefiters of that. We are those that are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. Jesus, our supreme example of power in weakness.